I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you eco-innovations that are changing your world. This week, Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive, who we affectionately call our guru of gears, will provide a green automotive news update. Tom, welcome to Green Sense. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and I'm super excited to talk about this topic. Um, let's talk about the diesel fuel, which some are billing as the crisis. Yeah. With the U.S. reserves running below a 25-day supply not seen since 2008. And so let's try to figure out what's myth and fact. Sure. So first of all, when they talk about a 25-day supply, what does that mean? <laughs> that, that's a great question. And we hear that in the auto industry, too. The auto industry should usually be hovering around a 65-day supply of cars. But as we know, that's been much lower than that. Uh, but functionally, operationally, there should probably be two or three times that much oil in the quote-unquote pipeline to smooth out supply demand and, and to make sure that it's going where it needs to go. Um, so when they talk about 25-day supply of diesel, does that mean it's actually stockpiled or is this more of an estimate or a fictitious uh, uh, you know, number that's out there? At 25 days, there isn't much of it stockpiled. That's mostly in transit. Okay. Well, let's get into it. Let's start simple. Uh, diesel fuel is made from crude oil. Yeah. Uh, so uh, at, at petroleum refineries. And so I want to put this in context so people understand uh, the difference between diesel and gasoline production. But to start out, you know, you can't ship diesel across the ocean. You ship raw oil. It goes to the U.S. refineries or Domestic producers ship their oil to refineries and then they make diesel. So tell us about how much diesel and gasoline production is out there and compare the two. Yeah, the way we refine oil in the United States and really in North America um, and really the Western Hemisphere is, is, is that oil is, is broken down uh, and becomes roughly 45% gasoline, roughly 25% diesel, and something like eight, 9% things like kerosene and jet engine fuel. Uh, and there's a bunch of other smaller things that are produced from it as well. What the interesting thing about it is, is those ratios can't be changed very much. That's basically what you get from refining oil. And the supply is very interesting because demand for gasoline and diesel can shift, but the production ratios can't. So uh, if I've got that right, about a, uh, a quarter of that is diesel, about half of that is, is gasoline. Yeah. But I understand, uh, what is the consumption difference? Uh, how much more gas is consumed than diesel? It's about three to one in the U.S., three, three, type, three parts gas to one part diesel. So now we got lots of different fractions going yeah. on there, yeah. which makes That's the whole equation somewhat complicated. So does this mean that you need more oil feedstock to produce a gallon of diesel? You do. The interesting thing here, and it's never actually referred to as this, but diesel is almost a byproduct of gasoline production. Gasoline demand overwhelmingly drives oil refining in the U.S. And it's also the most uh, flexible. The demand is the most flexible because it's consumer oriented. So if prices go up, if things happen economically, consumers can back off of that consumption. Diesel is very inelastic because it's driven by industry, transportation and manufacturing. And those things don't change nearly as quickly or as often. So why is diesel more expensive than gasoline? I think you've answered it, but I'll ask that question to you. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Gasoline production is down a little bit, and that's partially due to uh, uh, what happened with COVID and, and the lockdown and things like that. But not only are we using slightly less gasoline right now, it's predicted that we're going to be using less and less in the future as we move towards electric vehicles. Diesel-powered vehicles, over-the-road trucks, construction equipment, farming equipment, that stuff's not going to convert to electric anytime soon. So the squeeze is going to be on diesel as we move forward uh, because there's going to be less incentive to produce it because people are buying less gas, and that's kind of where the money's at. So we talked about earlier that it takes more oil feedstock to make diesel. Does that have anything to do with the higher price? Well, it's the same stock, right? You, you, you take one barrel of, of it, it becomes a little bit of diesel and a lot of gas. So yes, actually to produce as much diesel as you do gasoline, you would need twice as much oil, I guess. So what are the advantages of diesel over gasoline? Uh, the big advantages are efficiency. Diesel is about 140,000 BTU per gallon, where gasoline is about 120,000. So you have more energy in a gallon of diesel. Additionally, diesel engines produce power more efficiently. Um, it, it's, it's internal combustion versus um, um, spark, or I'm sorry. Um, compression? <laughs> compression ignition. Thank you, Robert. Yes. It's a more efficient thing. Additionally, diesel engines produce much more torque, making them very suitable for trucking and uh, construction equipment. What are the disadvantages of gasoline and diesel? Diesel is dirtier and harder, harder to clean, which is one of the problems. Uh, and particulate emissions are a very big problem. They contribute to smog. So I would be remiss not to uh, talk about this next issue is oil companies have reported record profits. It's been all over the news. ExxonMobil has made more money the last quarter than they ever had before. Do they make more profits from gasoline or diesel? Probably from gasoline. Um, because that's the demand that, that is the most elastic and most immediately affected by any sort of shortage whatsoever because it's, the pipeline just moves quicker. Um, but we saw the same thing happen now that now that there's a little bit less petroleum being refined, profits are up. And this exactly happened in the auto industry where the chip shortage limited production and manufacturer profits, OEMs, were making a fortune. How much of this is manipulated by the gas companies to make a bigger profit? That's a great question. And the place where this can be hidden is in what they call the refinery downtime. And every year about this time, refineries are generally scheduled over different schedules um, to go down for maintenance and updates and equipment checks and things like that. And for whatever reason, there's an unusual large number of refineries down at the same time, which would obviously limit production. So this next question, I think, is pretty uh, a challenge, but you are our guru of gear, so we're going to throw it at you. The oil and gas supply chain is very complicated, and uh, to, especially when it comes to determine who's making money. In the past, large oil and gas companies were vertically integrated. They owned everything. Now they're split up, and there's lots of different companies. So when we try to look at who and where profits are being made, uh, I, I can walk us through the chain. And then if you know, if you could tell us who's making the most money there. So it starts out with exploration and production. That's drilling the oil wells and getting the uh, oil out of the ground. And then typically, if it's in a foreign country, it has to be loaded on a large ship and transported across the ocean. So there's that shipping transport uh, company. There's the refining and storage. It's uh, taking that oil, whether it comes domestically or abroad, refining it, storing it. 
And then uh, if, it, if they can, they ship it through pipelines or they put it on tanker trucks, which then go to the retail gas stations. So again, pretty complicated process. Who's making all the money here? Um, the way I, the way it rings out for me, and 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 the way that I went through this, it's obviously oil production and and manufacturing. That seems to be the big money, uh, and you have the most control over what you're doing because you can supply or not supply as you want. Uh, and then refining is a lot of money as well um, to produce the end product. Retail famously low profit and very low returns. Um, and it's interesting and, and telling that manufacturers, the oil producers, divested themselves of their retail operations. They seem to make they seem to make more money selling Doritos than they do selling. <laughs> Although I'm going to challenge you on this, uh, I have watched uh, retail gas station prices, and on uh, on one day they could be say four dollars. The next week they're up to four fifteen, and. Sometimes that change happens over a day. I know they still have gasoline in those tanks that they paid for on the lower price. So I, I, I wonder if there's some uh, price gouging happening at the, uh, the retail end also. Oh, I'm sure there is. And as a child, as a younger man, I worked at a gas station. And when my boss, the owner of the single gas station, saw the news and saw any sort of un anything unsettling in the Middle East, he called me to raise gas prices <laughs> on the spot. So yes, you try to you try to play those waves, obviously. But I have heard what you've said is that they make more off a gallon of coffee than they do off a gallon of gasoline. So uh, and again, we live in a capitalist society and that's where the quandary comes. Are you do, do you pick on people for making money? Because uh, when I look back at exploration and production, tremendous amount of capital, tremendous amount of risk goes into putting oil wells in, a tremendous amount of capital goes into putting refineries in, and especially with all the regulations, you know, it's, it's quite a challenge. So I think we're in quite a predicament. Um, so let's get into some more uh, questions here is, what is diesel used for and what kind of uh, vehicles use diesel? Yeah, overwhelmingly for transportation. And the vehicles that use diesel, that still use diesel, uh, are largely uh, large, uh, medium-duty and heavy-duty trucks. Um, almost all automotive, or, I'm sorry, uh, railroad um, um, locomotives and farming equipment and construction equipment. Those are the big ones. Wow, that's uh, pretty serious. So if we have a diesel shortage, what's going to happen to trucking, farming, train, and ship transport? Well, the thing that's going to happen, unfortunately, is, is the net effect is going to be inflation because we're not going to see stuff not be moved. So something has to incentivize oil producers to produce a little bit more oil. And to do that, they're going to charge just a lot more money for diesel fuel. So, Tom, this is where I'm confused. If, it, if oil is used to make diesel and we don't have an oil shortage, what's causing a shortage of diesel? A couple of weird things are happening right now, and, and, and the way the ship the chip shortage played out for cars, um, manufacturers, oil manufacturers, oil producers backed off producing because early in the the, uh, the pandemic we saw the demand for gasoline and jet fuel fall off a cliff. Demand for diesel didn't change, so and that's where diesel prices started to climb because manufacturers stopped producing or stopped refining oil because their profit centers, largely gasoline and jet fuel, makes money too. Uh, weren't returning. So they weren't going to produce more than they needed of that stuff. And that's what you would have had to do to get diesel. Basically producing more diesel gets you a glut of gasoline. Okay. Um, 
so I've got a couple of issues that uh, we talked about that are, are part of the shortage, and I thought we could take a deep dive into them. Yeah. The first is refining capacity. What I've heard is that there's a shortage of diesel refining operations. Fact or fiction? <laughs> uh, probably both. Diesel op refining operations should be basically the same thing as gasoline refining operations. They should produce both because that's what you get when you, when you crack a barrel of oil. Um, there is not enough diesel getting moved out there right now because there's not that much demand for gasoline. Okay. Now, I'm going to quote something from Reuters uh, from October 27th, uh, 22. It says, the 12-month calendar spread for ultra-low sulfur diesel futures has flared, flared out to a backwardation of $50 per barrel from less than $10 this, uh, this time last year as trader anticipate physical shortages. I never heard of backwardation. What is backwardation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's something like the inverted yield curve, but it's where the prices or the value of something is understood to be higher now than it's going to be in the future. So if you have the stuff now, you want to move it, um, and you want to move it the easiest way possible. And one of the things that's happening to diesel fuel, uh, which isn't usually exported, uh, Gulf Coast refiners, for example, are moving it the easiest way possible to other markets because they have access to ships. That is tightening the supply of diesel in the U.S., unfortunately. So basically what's happening is they can get a high price for the diesel right now. So they're moving and selling as much as they can because they think in the future they're going to get a lower price. Is that that is basically what's happening. Yeah, a lot of uncertainty about what's happening with the Ukraine war, uh, demand in Europe. One of the other things, too, that happened that isn't being discussed in a lot of this news is that demand for diesel fuel in Europe is going to be dropping because a lot of, um, a lot of laws and a lot of taxes that used to incentivize diesel are going away. And where is demand in the U.S.? Is it rising, neutral, or uh, declining? There's almost no consumer demand, so it's basically flat right now. And how does the Ukrainian war impact diesel prices? What we're seeing now, too, is that the pipeline out of Russia has shut down. So that's an immediate crisis. Uh, and, and there's demand for diesel places because nothing's coming out of, of Russia right now. So the oil feedstock is drying up, increasing oil prices and diesels made out of oil? Yep. Okay. What about government policies? Everybody likes to blame this on the president, but in our last show, we showed how little control the president has over oil and gas because these are held by very powerful companies. How much does government policies impact things? Not a whole lot. I mean, there are things the government can do that can reduce, and that's not gonna help us in this situation, but reducing the cost by reducing taxes, temporary, some sort of tax holiday. Um, the government and the president can, in fact, tap the, the federal oil reserve, but as large as that reserve seems to be, it's almost nothing relative to, to um, national demand. In fact, the 1 million barrels that they were talking about dumping is, is less than a day's supply of oil. It, it really solves no problems. So here's a counterintuitive uh, twist to this. Uh, you know, there's a lot of push to go to EVs. Yeah. EVs will lessen the amount of uh, oil and gas uh, demand. So indirectly, do EV policies push up uh, oil and gas prices short term? They probably are. Um, people are, 
right now what you're running into is, and this happened with microchips too, um, manufacturers do not want to set up additional refining or additional manufacturing to solve a temporary problem. Infrastructure costs are too high. They would rather just profit short term and not spend any money to, to build up um, additional capacity. So we're pretty mono-minded out there. And when there's a problem, we want somebody to blame. Yeah. Are the oil companies gouging and are those to blame? Or is this really a confluence of so many different issues that it's hard to pick someone to blame here? If, if the oil companies aren't gouging, they are certainly taking maximum advantage of this. And I think the line between those two scenarios blurs a little bit. And, and the, the extent to which they're bringing factories back online, refineries back online after their downtime, that's a good question too. Are they coming up as quickly as they need to? Maybe not. But gouging is not the only issue causing this problem, correct? Correct. It's, yeah, there's it's a real a, problem that just makes the situation ripe for gouging. Is the diesel shortage a global issue or just domestic? And if it's global, which countries are most affected? Um, it is global, but it, it's especially acute in the American Northeast. And that's because a lot of their diesel uh, would be coming from, from Europe and from Russia uh, and that's not coming in. They, they, they just geographically, they get things right off the boat. Not happening. Well, and also uh, in the Northeast, a lot of diesels used for home heating fuel. Does that uh, change the demand? It's interesting that it's interchangeable, but you, you can use diesel, which is very expensive now, to heat your home, uh, which increases demand too. And if it gets colder out there anytime soon, that would exacerbate the problem. So, Tom, as we've talked here, this is a pretty complex problem. I think the average person hears sound bites on the news and they don't dig into it. And it could be very uh, confusing what that really means. Should we be concerned about running out of diesel fuel in the U.S.? I don't think we're going to run out. I think we're going to pay an awful lot for it. And the net result is going to be very quick inflation. Um, because if manufacturers of consumer products need to pay more to move stuff, because diesel has gone up, that's going to come out of our pockets. So on Johnny Carson, I think they had Karnak the Great. You know, he'd put on his, uh, uh, his, his turban and he'd make a prediction. Where do you see the price of uh, a diesel going to? Oh, man, I could see it hitting six bucks pretty soon and probably in the near future. I think this problem is going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. Uh, any higher? I don't know. Uh, it's hard to say because it's hard to know when the supply is going to untighten. Uh, and, and, you know, my crystal ball is not that good. So if diesel goes up a dollar, you know, that's somewhere around 20%. And that all our stuff is shipped in the, much of our stuff in the U.S. is shipped by truck. We're going to see hyperinflation because that's going to get passed on to everything. Yeah, it's going to happen that way. And I feel sorry for the, the owner operators of over the road trucks because it takes them the longest to try to recoup additional costs. Wow. Any solutions out there? No, not really. What, what happens usually for truck drivers who are independent operators is they, they try to get some sort of a temporary price increase, but those things never happen immediately. Well, we'll keep an eye on this. And again, thank you for your research and digging into it. And before you leave, I have another topic that we'll just touch on. Maybe we can do a whole show on it. Yeah. But I uh, read that the uh, there's over 100,000 cars sitting in auto manufacturers' lots awaiting computer chips. So these cars are all produced, ready to go, but they need chips. Uh, some of these cars were made over maybe a year ago. Are these considered new cars? Are we going to see a future oversupply of cars when all these chips come available? 
are, are these cars rusting? Are they uh, 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 impacted somehow by sitting around? Talk to us about that. Yeah, I like your last question first, so I, or I want to address your last question first, and, and that is to do with the, the supply of them. General Motors in the third quarter had an, a baffle third quarter, lots of profits, lots of sales, mostly because they acquired the chips they've needed to finalize some product. So that got dumped out on the market. What happens to them, though, is they need to remain the same model year. So they're new. You can buy a new 2022 in 2023, uh, but they can't change uh, they can't change anything on the Monroney label or the VIN number, which includes a model year. So, so will they discount that price? That's up to the market. Um, I, I think people right now are still hungry for vehicles and they may not need to. But if the if, if buyers decide they don't want to buy a year old brand new car, they may have to discount. Interesting. Anything else you'd like to add to that? Yeah, it seems like we're in a very weird moment in time right now where manufacturers still want to meet demand and make a lot of money, but they're also backing off production because increasingly they fear a recession. So these are very awkward times for car manufacturers. And that wanted supply of cars that, that we're hoping is going to come out may not be that big because manufacturers don't want to be stuck with a lot of inventory if we are hit with a recession. Well, with interest rates continuing to rise and the price of vehicles continuing to go up, you know, paying eight or 9% on an auto loan on a $50,000 car really wipes a lot of people out of the marketplace. So this is a serious issue. And as you said, we're in a very interesting time. Let's continue to monitor this. Yeah, let's do that. Tom, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate all the time and research you do and for being on Green Sense. Pleasure was mine. Thanks, Robert. That's Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive with our Green Automotive News Update. Green Sense is an independent radio show, and we rely on sponsorship and listener support to produce high-quality audio broadcasts that promote innovators with sustainable solutions. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, visit the GreenSenseFarms.com website to learn more. I'm Robert Colangelo. Thank you for listening to Green Sense, and check out the Green Sense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on 105.9 FM, WBBM, Chicago.